Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. Hey, hey, how you doing? Nick James here. What a phenomenal time to be alive. Excited because today, this is a first, we are doing a joint podcast slash YouTube episode. We're collaborating with the Exposure Ninja Show and the Empire Builders podcast together, um, myself and Tim Cameron Kitchen, the legend, the ultimate ninja when it comes to marketing, traffic, lead generation, and all great things. So, um, Tim, welcome. Thanks, Nick, and uh, welcome to you too. Pleased to have you in our Exposure Ninja world as pleased as I am to be in your world. <laughs> yeah, pleased to be here. And it's weird for me to say welcome because I'm welcoming you to your own podcast and your own show. And then you're welcoming me to my own podcast and my own show. But I just feel, um, well, we discussed this. I think we're going to get the most robust, comprehensive mm. episode and the best content for both of our communities um, if we do it as a joint thing. So um, let's Absolutely. roll with that. Uh, let's go for it. Let's go for it. So... Um, yeah, I guess, first of all, for those that don't know you who are on Empire Builders, give us a quick 30 seconds. What's Exposure Ninja all about? Who's Tim Cameron Kitchen? Yes. So uh, my name is Tim. I'm Head Ninja, CEO at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency. We've been uh, going since about 2012, late 2012, early 2013. We build websites, optimize them, get them ranked, run Facebook ads, uh, Google ads, uh, organic socials, email marketing, conversion rate optimization. Typically for small and medium-sized businesses, usually our clients are turning over between 500k and 20 million. Um, and we do this for businesses all around the world. There's 110 of us ninjas and we freaking love it. We're marketing geeks. Uh, for those in the Exposure Ninja world who don't know you, Nick, who are you? Where do you come from? Thank you very much. Um, yeah. By the way, you just did a great intro. I feel really under pressure now. Um, uh, so I guess uh, my role is I'm the CEO of the Empire Group. So we're a group of three uh, training, education, mentorship businesses. So uh, Expert Empires is probably the business that I'm best known for. Um, we run large-scale events, have done for a number of years now, um, specifically teaching business and marketing to experts, coaches, consultants, speakers, trainers, authors, etc. Uh, the Elite Closing Academy is another one of my companies. That's a sales training and education business and Super Genius Global, which is mindset and personal development coaching and training. So we've got a group of companies that they all operate in the events and training space. Uh, and I know, Tim, that's um, some of what you wanted to ask me about today. And, and by the way, for yes. those that are listening um, from the Empire Builders community, only picking this guy's brains to death on all <laughs> things advertising, marketing, Facebook, iOS update, how do we get around it, what should we be doing instead? Basically, all the stuff that I want to know, I'm going to be asking. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm going to pick your brains first because you said there that all your businesses are around events. And for me, events, getting people out of their homes and into a room, booking hotels, scheduling time away from their families. This is one of the hardest things in the world to sell. Um, and that's not just my opinion. That's looking at our client base over the years. What are, you know, Let's think really broad. What are some of the things that you do to build enough desire in somebody to get 
over all of those possible objections that they might have to coming an event? How do you sell events? Yeah, great question. I think um, first things first, it's probably a belief thing. Whilst everything you said is true, like in order for somebody to attend an event, they do have to, yes, invest money, but also physically move their body out of their house or office and travel and maybe stay over and all those things. Those are true. But I also believe that um, it's no more, the, the sale isn't really that different. Here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is um, ultimately you've still got to find a way to make the event desirable to attend. And ultimately that's done by having something about it that's significantly different. So how do I make events desirable? I make sure my events are significantly different to anything else out there. Mm. Um, so as you know, Tim, because you've been uh, been to my Expert Empires events, you've spoken on stage at my Expert Empires events as well. Um, you know that the speakers that we bring in are speakers that you probably wouldn't get to see live in the UK very often. Um, the experience that we create over the two days is different than what you'd normally get at a kind of business event. Um, that might sound scary, by the way, because I've kept it mysterious. But essentially, <laughs> you know, it's not just a business event. It's not just sitting there listening to boring business talks for two days. You know, we have socials, we have parties, we have dinners. We, you know, we, we do our best to make it a full experience that people are going to love. And then, of course, they'll come back time and time again. So it's not like you're one and done. Um, a lot of, uh, of my competitors operate a bit of a one and done model. Like they work really, really hard to market and sell, come to this event and that's it. Then mm. they don't ever see you again. So what we've done slightly different is tried to build the success of our events around a sense of community. So we get people coming back time and time again, hence why, you know, numbers grow year on year consistently. So I think ultimately whether you're selling widgets or something in the virtual space or a live event, you've got to find a way to demonstrate enough points of difference mm. so that you're not just the same as everybody else. Um, mm. And that's how we did it with Expert Empires, um, with the Elite Closing Academy on the sales training side. I think the way that we train sales and closing is significantly different than the traditional kind of sales pushy hard sell uh, approach um it's much more around asking great questions and it's almost like a coaching approach to sales yeah. rather than a, yeah. a telling approach to sales um you know and in super genius uh the the content and the uh, philosophy that's taught and trained is very different and not for everyone i must say mm. um also you know you'll have seen Tim Ryan speaking, he's not a speaker that is for everybody either. Um, so, you know, he's quite alternative, quite edgy. Um, and so, you know, I think having those points of difference makes, I'm not going to say, I'm never going to say it makes selling events easy because selling events is never easy, but it makes it easier than mm. if somebody's listening to this or watching this and they're, they're in the training education space, it is bloody hard, especially if, what you're offering is pretty much available anywhere else in the world at a low or you know low price or no price. Often it's free. Um, you know you've got to find a way to make it different, to make it desirable and compelling. You, you mentioned a few things there. You mentioned community and obviously having a point of difference, and these are 
often things that are difficult to communicate immediately to someone. You have to kind of get them into your world, if you like, and, and have them there for a bit of time to build a relationship before they really understand that. You mentioned about the different approach that Matt takes with Elite Closing Academy, for example. The best way to experience that is really to kind of see him in action, I guess. So I'm assuming you've got quite a, a long user journey where you're bringing people into your world through various forms and then you maybe keep them in and give them some stuff before they actually come to an in-person event? Yeah, um, sometimes and sometimes right. not. So, you know, the, there are occasions where, like recently this happened, um, we ran a training last week. Um, we had a bunch of people enrolling in our mastermind program. One of them actually said, like, I've been watching you in an unstalkerish way for like four, four or five years and mm. never been to anything. That's a very long user journey. And that person's been receiving emails, maybe listening to my podcast. They've been, you know, they've been in our world, they've been receiving content and information, probably, probably member of our Facebook community. So they get free content every so often. So they've been in our world a long time. And then for whatever reason, something triggered that person to finally mm. make the purchase um so sometimes there is quite a long user journey as you call it tim in other cases somebody can move through real fast um now like a good example of this would be on the elite closing academy business um the first thing that somebody would normally um get that would cause them to come into our world would be a copy of matt's book i don't know tim you use um you've got a book which you use as kind of like a first touch point for people that are interested in becoming a client with exposure ninja so it's a similar approach so they get a book it's free they pay shipping that's it and then they're in the process and sometimes they'll move from that into you know paid training very very quickly um yeah they might get a phone call within maybe a few days of receiving the book and they're like yeah it's amazing i'm in um often most cases that isn't necessarily how it works so you know they might get the book and then they don't read the book and then of course we email them with some free video content and then they go oh actually this is good i might read the book now and then they might get a phone call from one of my team and they might say well yeah i'm busy so now's not the right time but then you know they consume more content and over time maybe it's three months or six months before they come to uh, you know a free introductory training but then maybe they purchase additional training maybe they come to the free introductory training and don't purchase any additional training and six months later, they realize actually now would be a great time because they're at a stage in their business where maybe they've recruited a salesperson. They want to bring that person. So there's there's a whole host of, uh, like the user journey can be a matter of days or it could be a matter of years. It really doesn't. Um, and of course, you know, there's an average, which is probably a few months. Um, mm. But it does vary massively. And of course, you know, Tim, you, you, you know all about the importance of, consistency and follow-up and, and you know we do all of those things which of course are designed to gradually enhance and move people through that user journey i'm really interested in your approach here because the approach that we take at en is we put out a lot of stuff that we don't track at all for example all of the youtube stuff the podcast stuff and anytime we do go into that stuff and we look at you know what's the roi how many leads are we getting from the podcast for example it's very difficult to make yeah. a decision to say we're going to continue investing in that compared to something much more like faster ROI, Facebook ads, Google ads, that type of stuff. But we still do it because we just know that it's moving people through and there's this kind of conveyor belt effect. You know, people will mention it, like you said, someone will be in your world for a while. So 
how do you think about where to put your time and energy between the quick win stuff and this bigger just content just pushing stuff out knowing that it's somehow going to have an effect yeah look obviously it's not just one or the other is it um no. and, and and by the way very similar to to your belief your approach um you know we put two episodes a week out on our podcast and um, i probably put less time into content creation and, and publishing content than a lot of people in my industry. Um, but that's probably because I've got three companies and I'm the CEO, so I'm operating as a CEO day in, day out. So it's, it's more difficult for me to be putting as much time in as maybe I would like into content creation. And I've got other partners, Matt Elwell, Ryan Pinnick, other people within our world who can create that content and team members that can write emails and things like that. So, um, but I agree with you completely. There are things that I can't show you on a spreadsheet, the ROI, but I instinctively know and feel that they make a difference. Mm. And then of course, there are the things that I can show an ROI on a spreadsheet. And so I don't think one or the other in isolation is smart. Um, for, for me, it's about balancing the two because, you know, let's face it, if all you did was non-trackable stuff, you could be spending loads of time and energy and resource on something that isn't working. But if all you did was the fast, quick win, direct response, trackable stuff, then um, you're probably not building brand loyalty. Yeah. It's, it's much more difficult as well using purely paid or direct response to build that kind of trust, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely, it's both. Um, and, you know, obviously how much time you have available and how much money you have available probably dictates what the balance is. And, mm. and I'm probably at a point now where the amount of time I have available is a lot lower than it used to be. And the amount of money I've got available is a lot more than it used to be. So I probably lean slightly towards direct response. And, mm. and less so on the content side, but, you know, we are still pushing out, you know, email content, um, a few times a week. We're putting a couple of podcast episodes out a week and, um, mm. I'm probably not as active on socials as I used to be. That's probably the truth. It's, it's worth saying also, but you do have quite a big community on Facebook, which does a lot of this stuff as well for you, doesn't it? Like a lot of the people on your team are very active in community and the community members are active in engaging with each other. So, you've kind of put a lot of that relationship building almost on autopilot. I know that's going to undersell what actually goes into building a community on Facebook, but there's other people doing that stuff as well, which, well, which you don't have to be directly involved with. Because I did have to put all the work in originally. Yes. So yes. That's, that's happened as a result of many, many years of hard work. Um, mm. and, and look, you know, I, I don't want to um, mislead anyone into thinking that, you know, we've got this amazing thriving online community because we don't that's not where we do most of our marketing most of our marketing is as i said direct response it's uh it, you know it's it's data and stat driven um and equally because we've been running expert empires events for many many years we've built up this kind of community of people who quite frankly regardless of who the speakers are would buy a ticket anyway because they just want to come. So I've been getting people, um, we, we announced the next date recently, I've been getting people messaging me all, constantly asking who the speakers and when the ticket's on sale, uh, even though they don't, we don't have that information to share yet um, because 
they they already know the because we've built the brand i guess so yeah. it's the difference between brand marketing and direct response marketing i guess mm. hey real quick if you've been listening to the empire builders podcast for any length of time you'll know that i do not run ads on this podcast and what you should also know about me is that i only partner with companies who i absolutely 100 percent believe in and so i'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to Keep. So since 2010, I've been using Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to Keep, K-E-A-P, and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable, even more usable for businesses that are at different stages of their journey. So to go and get a free demo, all you need to do is go to keep.com, that's K-E-A-P, keep.com forward slash empire builders. And by using that link, I've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo, and when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to ask you about personal brand. You mentioned there being CEO of, of three businesses and everyone who's built a company kind of as an extension of their personal brand will understand this point where your operational duties start to conflict with the amount of marketing stuff that you can be involved with. Yeah. How have you balanced over the years building Nick James, the personal brand versus expert empires and then empire builders, the brand? And what are some of the dangers of over-prioritizing one or the other? Yeah. Well, I think the, the way that I explain it, uh, always explain it is that it's normal, I think, and actually helpful in the earlier days of business to um, support the business brand with personal brand. Mm. Uh, it gives you much more, uh, it means you can get much more traction much more quickly. Um, then, that, then again, that is exactly what will hold you back later on because you've got the, the dilemma of not enough time to invest in you know, creating content and, and, and continuing on the personal brand side. So yeah, I, th I think for me, I did a lot more of it in the early days. Uh, the early days, it was probably, there wasn't really a business company or product brand. It was really Nick James. And then we're now at a point where that's less the case. And we've built the expert empires brand kind of independent from me. And obviously we've got the other two training businesses that, that don't have, me involved in them at all from a branding perspective so i, I think the game really is to use personal brand because it's you know it is an asset in the early stages of of growth but then if you want to really scale you want to make sure that you're not the bottleneck and so then building the business brand and or um having other people and their personal brands carry the uh carry the the marketing message is probably 
another way of approaching it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough though because the the thing that gets you started won't get you to scale. Hmm. Um, so it's it's tough, and ultimately, depending on what your end game is, if you want to exit um, and sell the business, if it's hot, highly reliant upon you to uh, and your personal brand, that's a challenge. Now, um, you've also got to think about what you're naturally gifted at and what you're really good at. So hmm. I'm capable of creating content and writing copy and doing videos and et cetera, et cetera. But it's also not my unique talent or gift. It's also not the thing that I love doing most. So the things that I love doing most is actually being CEO, operating, building the the companies. That's what I, I really enjoy and, and I do think that's what I'm best at. So it would be foolish of me to, to stop doing the things that I really enjoy, get somebody else to do those, to focus on the stuff that I'm not as good at. Mm. Um, so yeah, my strategy has been get other people to create personal brands and then build the businesses based on that. And I still do some of it and I focus on being the CEO and operating the businesses. But equally, I know people that are the opposite. I know people that are really, really good at personal brand building. Um, I'll shout out a good friend of mine, Rob Moore. He's brilliant at it. Um, uh, and he spends pretty much all of his time building personal brand. And he's, he's like the primary marketing channel for his company. Um, or at least one of the primary marketing channels. Um, but he now has somebody else that operates the business because he loves creating personal brand. He's very good at it and he doesn't want to run the business on the opposite. So I think you've got to know yourself enough to decide how, and there's no right or wrong. There's no, no. one way is better than the other. It's just what's right for you. Yeah. And like you say, there's examples of businesses that have taken either route and succeeded. So it's all about, I think one of the most important things I think is actually committing to one route or the other and getting out of this stage of being torn between them as soon as you possibly can really. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent agree. Um, have you got anything else to ask me or are we going to get I've got some quick fire questions, but actually I'm stuck into the stuff that I want to ask you because I'm dying here. I think we can both answer my quickfire questions at the end, so I think they're fine. They're yeah, let's, let's wrap up with quickfire questions at the end. Yeah, that's a good idea. Good. So, so look, from a, this is a real broad question, which I'm sure will stimulate um, some discussion between both of us. What are you seeing? You, you work with – how many clients do you work with in EN? Uh, I don't know. It's over 100. Yeah, so you've got over 100 small and medium-sized businesses – that you're marketing for and with all day, every day. So you, you're getting a lot more. I'm getting the data from three companies. You're mm. getting the data from 103 companies. So, you, you know, you're going to know a lot more than I am. Like, what are you seeing right now? And we're, what are we? Um, January 2022, uh, yeah. as this episode is being recorded. What are you seeing right now that's working? What's no longer working? Like what should we, um, and I say we as small business owners, medium-sized business owners, what should we be focusing on if we're going to get the best um, return on investment? That's either financial investment, time investment. What are the marketing strategies and, and tactics that seem to be working best for you and for your clients? Yeah, I can't believe I'm still saying this in 2022, but organic visibility on Google is still the most profitable traffic that we're seeing. And I guess in some ways this makes sense because if someone is searching for you know exactly what it is that you do or what you sell, you can't really beat that. Um, but the reason I say I'm surprised at this is this was the case back in 2011 when I first started digital marketing and Exposure Ninja started off as an SEO and content agency. And here we are today still 
the clients that see the biggest long-term returns are using SEO and content as their primary traffic strategy. And then they will supplement with paid paid stuff as well. Um, I think some of the trends that we're seeing at the moment is cost per click on Google in particular going really high. The pandemic has forced so many businesses online. It's so much more competitive than it used to be. That's making it a difficult channel to justify for a lot of businesses. Um, so having a funnel, being able to increase customer lifetime value and that type of stuff becomes more of a priority for that. If you're going to pay to play in that space, you have to not just rely on first sale. Like you said about one and done businesses can often struggle with Google ads to make it pay. Um, and then Facebook, obviously total carnage. Interestingly though, iOS has actually led to some, you know, cost per click was going up a lot. Um, and then it's really sort of, sort of started to level off as a result of iOS, people not being able to justify the spend as much because they don't get the visibility of their traffic, with their tracking that they used to. Yeah, a couple of follow-up questions. Do you think that's because just, I suppose, supply demand has changed as in there are less people advertising on Facebook because they've backed out of it. Therefore, the people that are still doing it are benefiting from lower cost per lead. Yes, exactly that. I mean, I know that when we went to Expert Empires, it was the the iOS update had only just started. I was speaking to loads of people there who were just dumping huge pots of cash into Facebook, almost blind. They were just looking at the cost per acquisition number that was coming out the back. They had very little visibility on what was actually you know going on inside those campaigns. They were just kind of trusting Facebook. That yeah. approach is significantly less viable today. I mean, that was always a pretty risky approach to take, but it's significantly less viable today because you can't necessarily trust those numbers so much. So a lot of those advertisers have either had to get smarter about what they're doing or they've really, I mean, the lesson from all of this is to diversify, but they've certainly, you know, had to think twice about the volumes that they're pumping through Facebook for sure. Yeah, great. And I think what you said right at the start there about um, Google organic search is still you know, 10 years on, uh, 11 years on the, the, the best, um, the best source of high quality leads. And, and it makes sense. The reason I believe that's still the case is look, if I'm searching for something, I'm still going to Google. I'm still yeah. going there. Like I, d- I don't go anywhere else. And I've been doing that for 10 years. So, <laughs> so or probably longer. So it's still yeah. the go-to place. And until that changes, that probably you know, that pattern of behavior won't change. So um, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. So the, the words you just used there, um, which I love is diversify. So mm. it's foolish. And I think a lot of businesses came unstuck because they were, pl- all of their marketing budget every month was going on Facebook. Mm. Um, and by the way, we saw the same thing probably 10 years previous with Google, yeah, where there was businesses that were just putting all of their, you know, their, doesn't matter if it's a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand a month, in marketing spend into one place. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, that one place stops working and they're in trouble. So Mm. um, what are you seeing as good alternatives to Facebook? Now, based on what you just said, by the way, um, if you can get a bit smarter with Facebook, it sounds like maybe we're turning a corner slightly because there's less people, uh, less businesses advertising on the platform. Um, So that, uh, that, that to me, should maybe, if I was listening to this, we're, we're still actively using Facebook ads, but if I was listening to this and I'd backed out of Facebook, maybe over the last six to 12 months, I'd be hearing what Tim just said. And I'd be, I'm not saying you'd chuck all your budget back in 
you know, straight away, but I'd, I'd certainly start testing the water again from what you've just said, Tim. So what, what yeah. do you find are the best places to diversify when it comes to pay-per-click advertising? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It depends on the the proposition, really. So we tend to categorize businesses as either um, search-focused businesses. So if I need a locksmith, for example, I'm not going on Facebook hoping that I see a Facebook ad for a locksmith, right? Because I'm sitting yeah. outside my house in the rain. So if your business is search-focused, you're selling something that people know that they need or you're solving a problem that people know that they have, yeah. then Google Ads is a very good alternative to Facebook because you can get straight in front of that intent very, very quickly. Yeah. If you are interruption, we'd call, and interruption has negative connotations. I don't mean that. I mean, you're selling something that is either a solution to a problem somebody doesn't know that they've got, or it's something that you can sell them on impulse. For example, fashion, uh, events even. They might not know that they need to go to an event with David Goggins or Gary Vaynerchuk until they see your thing. Then, I mean, Facebook's still a decent traffic channel. Let's be 100% clear. Facebook is still a very decent traffic channel. You can track a lot of stuff with Facebook. Um, We can talk about some of the tracking tweaks that you might want to bear in mind with it, but also diversifying to things like uh, YouTube ads and, uh, you know, just uh, Google display network display ads can be a good way of getting people into content. But I think one of the approaches that needs to be adopted or at least tested here is driving people to some form of content first and trying to get them to make a lower commitment action, whether that's signing up for an email list or, you know, subscribing to a YouTube channel, subscribing to a podcast, something like that, which you can do quite easily on a first interaction. And you don't rely on, you know, multiple touch points being able to be tracked in order to make sense of that. So yeah, it's, it's really whether you're search or interruption, but Certainly, YouTube ads, TikTok ads as well, if that's your audience, can be pretty good. Um, or Google PPC uh, with uh, with text search ads can work very, very well. Yeah, I, th- I think something you said there that's really important is the, um, the first touch point being something like, in my case, free content, no opt-in yeah. required. We're, we're actually, um, we've got a monthly budget now that we're investing in literally just advertising the podcast for we're we're not capturing any data we're not you know we're we're, it's literally just like driving people to subscribe to the podcast because we know that if they start consuming content then they're more likely to if they were to see an advert for an expert empires event or uh or anything else i'm doing we do kind of like mini kind of five-day mini courses and trainings on facebook and things then Mm. they're more likely to enroll in those um so yeah I i think that's smart obviously it's not immediate return on investment which is the yeah. thing that everyone wants but sometimes you got to be a little bit patient and willing to play the long game and build as you say you know build the brand and build trust before you start asking for people to take an action absolutely and for me there's a there's a glimmer of hope about the future of marketing here and i don't want to get too like theological about it but us marketers over the past, say, five years have had more data than we've really known what to do with. And the danger of that is that we drive all of our marketing decisions just by conversion data. So we don't do anything unless we can see that there's a conversion coming out of the other end. Yeah. And the danger is with that, that there is no attempt to build brand. There's no attempt to build relationship at all, because how can you justify doing that? How can we justify making this podcast if we know that this one hour of our time is worth X amount and we dump it into Facebook and we get X leads with that? It's very difficult to do. So 
Facebook iOS is only the start, in my opinion. It looks like Android is going to adopt a similar sort of thing, which will be total carnage. Um, and obviously, Facebook's big metaverse play, they want to monetize every interaction, every facial expression, every wrinkle in our nose. That's their, that's their kind of mitigation attempt to, to kind of prevent this from becoming an untrackable, cookie-less world. But we have to look at the general direction that we're going in. This Facebook iOS 14 thing, this is not the end. This is only the beginning. Apple is selling us devices. They're not selling us ads. It doesn't look like that's going to be a big thing for them. So they are going to fight, not for us, because obviously they want to make money out of us, but they are going to fight Facebook and they're going to fight these high conversion tracked ad platforms as far as they possibly can. This is a war between them and I would not bet against Apple in this war. So I think we have to look at the direction and make sure that we are building a marketing system that plays well with the future that we're going towards. Yeah, great. Um, and you mentioned earlier some tweaks. Uh, so I guess this is like specific tactical things that you can do yeah. um, with Facebook advertising. I'd be, I'd be fascinated. I'm sure our listeners, our viewers would be as well to hear what you're, what you're doing there, what you've tested, what, what's worked for you, for your clients? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we notice, and, and this comes with the caveat that this is much more difficult to track than the conversions column in the Facebook ad platform and anything from now will be. But one of the mistakes that we've seen business and businesses make is when they're analyzing their Facebook ad performance, just relying on what they're getting from the Facebook platform rather than looking at Google Analytics. Now, Google Analytics, for all its flaws, actually has loads of really useful and interesting stuff. For example, the user path and seeing how many different interactions people have with search, with social, with uh, direct traffic before they convert. So inside your Google Analytics, you can see what your typical user paths are. One of the things that we'll notice is even if we're not getting conversion data from Facebook telling us that the ads are working, we'll notice, for example, that that is triggering direct traffic later on. So inside Google Analytics, we're seeing direct conversion. Well, that might not be attributed to Facebook in Facebook's backend, but it is being, you know, Facebook is kind of initiating that or it's encouraging it. So I think it's really important both to look at the data inside analytics, but also look at the impact of running Facebook ads on your direct traffic, on your branded organic traffic, which you can see from Google Search Console. So I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but one of the mistakes people can make is just because the conversion's not showing in Facebook, Facebook ads isn't working when often it's influencing these other channels, which are then taking the credit. So you can just split test, turn your ads off for a day, see what happens, right? Well, probably not a day, but turn your ads off for a few days and see what happens and look at how these other channels react to that. And that will give you a bit of an, uh, an insight into the shadow that Facebook is actually leaving on your traffic. I suppose, Tim, the irony from what you just said is the person that was just chucking money at Facebook and not really paying that much attention to the data might not have felt the pain because they didn't know the data anyway. It's the person that was actually the, the, it's the savviest market, the one that probably pays most attention to all the data and the stats now feels like I'm plowing all this money into Facebook and it's not working. So it's not showing me on the dashboard, but in actual fact, I think what you're saying is if you dig out a little bit deeper, it isn't yeah. that maybe, and of course you can't make any, um, I don't want to make any global um, 
statements or assumptions, but maybe it's not that the ads aren't working. It's just that the data isn't being reported correctly because of the update. So, in fact, it might still be working um, just as well as it was before. The problem is you don't you have to deal with that that uncertainty and and letting go of the need for absolute not like, like stats and data that are one hundred percent correct, um, which is really hard to accept when you're a marketing geek, of course. Um, yeah. But that's yeah that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, absolutely. I think you either go fully into the data and you start looking at, you know, multi-channel attribution, all that type of stuff, or you say, right, we're just going to look at the whole thing, you know, holistically. I hate that word, but, you know, as a, as a whole. But really, there's there's two things that the Facebook, that the iOS update has had on Facebook. Um, firstly, conversion tracking. But in my mind, one of the bigger impacts, and this is where the metaverse play comes in, is Facebook's ability to um, build decent audiences and to understand the interactions of audiences because they don't have so much visibility on the websites that you're visiting outside of Facebook when you're on iOS. They can't build up as big a profile of you as they used to be able to. So this also impacts the audience tracking. So it it is tempting to just say, well, the ads are probably working as well as they always have done. I just can't see it. It's rarely the case that they're working as well because a lot of people are relying on, you know, Facebook doing the audience black magic, which it's still able to do, but not with the degree of resolution. And this is something that will tail off over time, right? Because Facebook in the immediate aftermath of iOS 14 still relying on, you know, a huge bank of collected data over the years about our individual habits. But as that visibility drops, we'll notice the audience continuing to worsen. So this is where Metaverse comes in. And that's why I've got a 300 pound headset, which they could have charged a grand for. And this is where we're all going. So Zach hopes. I I suppose, look, you know, it's, it's, um, Survival of the fittest, isn't it? I guess the, the the business that was getting a five to one return on investment on Facebook ads previously might be now getting a three to one return, which still makes it viable. Yeah. The business that was getting a two to one return on investment on Facebook might find that mm, now it's not viable. It's squeezing my margins too tight. So what that meant, and again, I think what's that probably led to from what you said, Tim, is it's led to people pulling out of advertising on Facebook, which of course, for those of us that are still doing it and that are able to do it and generate profit, it makes, you know, makes it, um, it it might counterbalance some of the negatives from the update, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this, this ties into kind of what we were saying ages ago and, and, you know, I know that this isn't the, the listenership for this podcast, but all it takes in most markets for PPC to become very difficult is a few private equity funded players to come in and dump 100% of revenue from the first sale into PPC to get an acquisition, right? If you look at like the mattress space, the reason they're having to charge so much for these mattresses is because they're all throwing so much behind customer acquisition to show user growth so that they can get more investment so they can continue the cycle. Until that bubble bursts, all of these sorts of markets are going to become really competitive. On Facebook, you are competing against Simba, right? There's no way around it. We look at the hot group um, in the news a lot at the moment, and they have taken a really aggressive approach with PPC across all of the channels where they're happy to invest so much in customer acquisition because they know they can monetize the back end. And that ties into something that you were talking about at the start, which is 
let's not just focus on making this first sale. All of our advertising has to be on getting a customer where we can build a relationship and monetize them over days, weeks, months, years. The survivors in this war are going to be the ones that can generate enough revenue from those people to spend so much money acquiring these customers in the first place. And everyone else is going to be wiped out. As soon as they run out of money, it's all going to be over. As soon as their COVID loans are dry, they're all dead. So this is just, you know, this is the world that we're playing in and we have to get focused on customer lifetime value. Yeah, it reminds me of um, something I remember hearing from Dan Kennedy, uh, the first person that I heard it from many, many years ago. He goes, the, the, the business that can afford, the, the business that will win in any market is the business that can afford to spend the most money to get a new customer. That is the business that will win every single time. And I think we're, we're seeing that now. And when I say afford, um, that could be afford because they've got a lot of backing and a lot of investment, a lot of capital. Um, but of course, for the smaller businesses, the likelihood is that those that have got the greatest lifetime value, mm. therefore, can afford to invest in uh, more than anybody else in customer acquisition. So, yeah, and, and I think you know, you've led really nicely into this discussion, which is lifetime value. It's something that I think, um, if I can say this without sounding too arrogant, I think we're very good at. And that's mm. why we've, we've succeeded and quite well is because we actually put, as in when I say we, our group of companies, are, are we certainly put a lot more focus on lifetime value than we do on acquisition of new leads and customers. It's, yeah. it's, it's over time, I don't mind admitting that our greatest strength probably is not front-end lead generation and advertising. Um, we're okay at it. But where we're strong is lifetime value. It's creating experiences when people come to Expert Empire, so they want to buy yeah. a ticket next time and the time after, and creating an experience at the event so they're more likely to want to enroll in our mastermind or one of our other trainings. And then, of course, giving them a great experience and ensure they get results so that they're likely to renew and they're likely to recommend and introduce and refer people to our program so that the, the long-tail value of each person that buys a ticket to Expert Empires, instead of, you know, the ticket itself, you know, might be anything between a hundred and a thousand quid, but the lifetime value of each person that buys a ticket is runs into the multiple thousands of pounds. Mm. Which means I, I can in theory, I remember getting this advice from Gary Vaynerchuk many years ago. Um, when I started my first ever Expert Empires event, he went, Nick, you don't need to make any money out of this event any money he went if you break even on it you've you've won the lottery because if you break mm. even on this event what it will do for your personal brand what it will do for your reputation the amount of new opportunities um the amount of new customers the amount of new people it will bring into your world you'll you'll live off that for years mm. um, and he was absolutely right and it changed my mindset it actually caused me i'm not sure if he had ulterior motives because it also encouraged me to invest <laughs> $125,000, which I did not have at the time in his speaker fee. But it, 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 joking aside, it actually did give me a different mindset, which was I don't need to make a lot of money in profit from this event. I just need to pull off an event that's interesting enough, different enough, exciting enough, good enough that people will then want to stick around for time. Mm. Um, and and yeah, the good news is that we did make that first event fairly profitable anyway, but it didn't have to be. And, and I'm, I'm still, I still have the same attitude to this day. We've got an event coming up mm. in a few months time 
Um, and like the 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 costs of running that event, let's just say my finance manager is unsure whether I'm making a good decision with the speaker fees and the venue and the advertising and all of the stuff. But I, I'm like, look, we don't need to make a load of profit on this event yeah. because it will it will serve the long term outcomes of our business many times over when we when we do a great job and get it right. And I think it's. It's easy for me to say that now, of course, because, you know, we've built up uh, three companies over a number of years and we've got established in the marketplace. Um, it's harder to do that when you're starting from scratch. At that point, you know, when you've got no money uh, or, or very little money and, you know, bills to pay and uh, uh, both in the business and personally, you know, then it's harder to be able to do that. Um, but ultimately, again, you know, the business that's going to win in any market is the one that can afford to spend the most money to acquire a new customer. Right. There's a, but there is an alternative way, right? There's, it's organic content. It's yeah. the, what, what we're saying with the podcast, we don't know if our time here, we're going to be finding it difficult to attribute a profit value to our time spent on this podcast, but we know that it is going to pay off Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We ju we just know this. We assume it. So, and I think that's you know with with organic search traffic, this is creating guides. This is sharing all of the information. Get all of the information out of your head. Get it into pages on your website. So when someone searches for that problem that they've got, they find you. When they search on YouTube with that problem that they've got, do they find you? Second largest search engine. Look at the usage time per month for people on YouTube. It's phenomenal. It's only going in one direction. TikTok usage average usage time per month has now exceeded YouTube so that's just mind blowing wow. but another thing like are you spending time if you don't have the budget to invest in paid traffic are you spending the time creating organic content which can live forever and can always be the solution to someone's problems and it can be the kind of gateway into the Nick James or expert empires or you know whatever it is world these are the battlegrounds of the future yeah and and I think you make this good point about the time versus money dynamic you go if you're not in a position where you've got capital or cash to invest in paid advertising you're going to have to invest time instead if you're in a position where you don't have much time but you've got capital or cash to invest then you can utilize that asset instead so um and of course you know as we said right at the start of this it's probably a combination of both um and you know i we probably lean slightly towards the paid version now as we've become you know more time poor um mm -hmm. but we've got more cash to invest and you know that's probably been a, a transition over time it certainly wasn't the case at the start um so quick fire questions let's wrap up with those shall we Do all right it. question number one you're heading off to your desert island you've only got room in the suitcase for one marketing channel what's it going to be Oh, that's like asking me what my, which one my favourite child is out of my two. That's that's um, question two. <laughs> yeah, I've only got room for one marketing channel. What is it? Ah. I feel like we've been slagging off Facebook. Your answer may have been Facebook. It's totally okay. We haven't been slagging off Facebook. <laughs> you know what? I'm going email. Are you? Yeah, I've got. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's the it's the time and money invested versus the result got back yeah. but of course if you wanted to be you know really dig into me now you go well, how did you build the email list and i go <laughs> well through organic content and paid ads so yeah yeah well email is widely considered the highest roi marketing channel because of that but then you are essentially just retargeting to existing leads um 
for me, organic search, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but surprisingly, I cannot believe I'm this far through my, through my digital marketing career and I'm still saying organic search, but yeah, it's difficult to speak. All right, question number two. You have unlimited budget to grow expert empires, but if you don't hit 100 million revenue in the next 12 months, Villa get relegated, Matty Cash is going back to Forest. What's the first oh, marketing? Oh, mate, <laughs> mate, I love Matty Cash, but I'm more bothered about Coutinho not signing a permanent contract. <laughs> well, if there's no Matty Cash, Coutinho is not going to stick around, surely. Um, <laughs> what's the first marketing thing that you start doing with that unlimited budget? I've got to lump it into Facebook. I've got to. Because yeah. also you didn't say that we needed to remain profitable. No, no. When you said 100 million revenue. I, I, I think you just got to look. We'd have to lump it into Facebook. The problem yeah. is, would we be able to up the ante on the spend sufficiently? That's the problem. It's could, could we do it? But, um, you know, how quick, well, you know this better than I do. Like, how quickly can you scale your ads? But, yeah, I, I think in terms of paid marketing channels for for us, and it'd be different depending on what business you oh, run. Yeah, yeah. For us, it'd still be Facebook because that's where our audience hangs out most. That's interesting for us. It'd probably be Google Ads. It pains me, and you probably would need an unlimited budget to get to 100 million on Google Ads. But yeah, very expensive, but it can be very profitable. All right. By the way, I, I feel I feel like on the first two questions. I haven't mentioned two things that we haven't spoken about at all on this episode, which I think it would be remiss of me not to mention. Direct mail. Right. Like, I, I love direct mail. Like so few people are, or so few businesses are utilizing direct mail. Mm. Um, and I think the reason is because it costs money. And so email like is relatively, you know, apart from, automation software doesn't really cost much to send email. So um, people favor that, but the open rate, the engagement rate, the response rate pound for pound or, or, or send for send on direct mail is, is really strong. So that's one that I, I do love, albeit I don't think it's my primary strategy to get to hundred million. And it probably wouldn't be the primary strategy that I'd say if, use if I've only got one. Um, yeah. And then the other one that you know all about Tim that I'm obsessed with, of course, is, is telesales. Like yeah. we, we, we do not rely solely on email for follow-up. We do use email for follow-up. We also do SMS for follow-up, but we've got we've got a full-time sales team in-house. And without them, I reckon they are directly and indirectly responsible for probably almost half of our annual revenue. Mm. Without Not them, cool. well, I know, I know um, if I isolate one part of the business, um, for every uh, 100 tickets we sell to an Expert Empires event, probably 40 to 50 of them are over the phone. Right. So without right. that telesales function, we'd be 50 to 60% of capacity. Mm. We'd be losing all those extras. So that's that's pretty big chunk. That is a pretty big chunk, as they say in marketing. Um, day one of Expert Empires, what do you wish you'd known? Oh, bloody hell. Um, yeah, I actually wish that I'd been even more aggressive, like as in I was pretty aggressive because uh, I'm committed to invest money that I didn't have. But but I was still, because of where we were in the business at the time, I think mm. I was still like trying to make it profitable. I was still, you know, because I had 
you know, financial responsibilities with my team and the office and personal uh, expenses and stuff that I needed to cover. So I, I didn't have the freedom financially that I have now. And so I probably wasn't aggressive enough. I probably could and should have been more aggressive with marketing spend um, mm. and been okay with less profit in the short term. I think we would potentially be further down the line, um, you know, six, seven years in than mm. we are if we'd have done that. What about you? What, what do you wish you knew on day one of EN? It's actually a pretty similar thing. I wish we'd have gone harder with our content. So we wrote books and we, um, so I wrote the first book in 2013, I think. And we lived on the leads from that book for at least a couple of years. That was our primary lead source. And we were so busy growing the business and doing all the stuff that we were doing that we didn't build out other channels. We could have gone much harder with YouTube in the early days of YouTube. We could have gone much harder with podcasts. We were quite early on podcasts. We should have gone harder. So I guess it's a similar sort of answer to you. I wish we'd been more aggressive and in particular in the non-trackable, the yeah. branding type um, side of our marketing, which like you said, in those early days, it's very difficult to justify investing in that because you kind of live in the real world and you don't see the long picture. Like hindsight is only, is, is 2020, isn't it? So you don't see what's going to happen from that. But yeah. I think we both probably had a gut feel that there was going to be ROI in those, but we just didn't push as hard as we could have done and i regret yeah. it yeah I, th I think especially when it's a financial investment in something that can't be tracked when it's a time investment it's slightly different so yeah. one of mine for sure if i was given the second answer I, I do wish i'd started the podcast sooner because it has been so good for us um i wish i'd done that sooner but um you know again just didn't uh, I, I was probably later to the party we only launched empire builders in uh, what was it? June 2020, I think. So yeah, we're right. we're like what 18 months, not not yet two years in. Um, so we were a bit later to the party, I think. So I wish I'd done that sooner. Um, but yeah, the, it's the financial investment that's harder to justify in the mm. early days, I think. So yeah, I wish I'd been more aggressive there, and and probably if I'm being really honest, my personal expenditure was significant relatively significant which meant that i needed personally to generate a certain amount of income whereas if i'd have had lower personal expenditure i could have gone more aggressive on growth which was probably you know one of my regrets but um interesting yeah. you regret the things that we don't do don't we this is we it. should have gone harder yeah exactly anyway listen mate i've really enjoyed this collaborative joint episode a first here on empire builders and and probably a first also on exposure definitely ninja. a first for exposure ninja. absolutely it worked who knew <laughs> who knew well I th and by the way the, the reason was i felt we could get more content and more more juice into this you know 45 60 minutes if we did it as one episode rather than the crossover that probably would have occurred if we did two separate ones so uh thanks absolutely. for your time really appreciate it we should definitely do it again and uh hope to see you soon mate absolutely ctas before we forget where do people find out more about you where do they follow you where do they join expert empires world yeah, I mean, expertempires.com, main website. That's where all info about upcoming events, et cetera, et cetera, is Empire Builders Podcast for those that aren't subscribed. If you're on the uh, Exposure Ninja show, then check us out there. And if you want to connect with me personally, DM on Instagram is probably the best place. Cool. Tim, and, uh, same? 
Yeah, so our business offers a free website and digital marketing review. We take a look at your website and digital marketing. We map out a prioritized growth plan that you can follow over the next six to 12 months. It's completely free. It's sent to you as a video, 15 minute video, usually within two to three working days. You can get that from ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Um, otherwise, follow us on all the socials at ExposureNinja. Wicked. Nice one. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you soon, buddy. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.